The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas. Continuing his sermon for the Feast of the Circumcision, Spiritual Circumcision and the Sacred Name of Jesus. In the Old Law, those to be circumcised did not circumcise themselves, but were circumcised by the hand of another. Now our Savior willed to be like us in all things, and subject himself to the law without any exception. Therefore, he willed also to be circumcised, not by his own hand, but by the hand of another, no matter who it might be. Our Lord willed to be circumcised by another for our example, to show us that, although it is a good thing to be circumcised by one's own hand, it is even better to be circumcised by someone else's. Surely those ancient solitaries, hermits and anchorites who lived in the desert, are to be admired. We ought to esteem the wonderfully triumphant victories they won by mortifying and circumcising their hearts and interior passions with the help of God's grace, inspired and prompted by the Holy Spirit, the saints, and their good angels. Yet the circumcision which we endure from others far exceeds theirs, because it is more painful and therefore more meritorious. All Christians are bound to be spiritually circumcised by one another. Beyond this, there are always people in religious orders and communities who attentively and continually watch over their own heart so as to know what ought to be wrenched out and mortified. For this purpose, they keep a knife continually at hand to circumcise themselves. This, however, does not make them unwilling to be circumcised by others, and without doubt this latter circumcision is far more acutely painful than the former. We find arrogant, proud, haughty, and coarse people who nevertheless are very cognizant that these passions are a major hindrance to God's grace and must be circumcised. They pray with hearts inflamed with this desire. In fact, turning inward, they begin to do it so fervently that it actually seems painless, and they experience such delight and consolation that they shed abundant tears of deep spiritual joy. In short, what comes from our own willing and effort costs almost nothing. So incredibly subtle is our self-love. But if at this point someone were to tell them, You are a lout, a bore, oh, surely their blood would begin to boil, and they would immediately feel the onrush of anger. This would be intolerable, and they would find clever words to justify themselves. Thus you can see how necessary it is that someone else guide the knife which circumcises us. Others know much better than we precisely where the application is needed. The preeminent apostle St. Peter was seized with violent anger when in the Garden of Olives he saw the soldiers coming to take his good master. He asked our Lord whether he should strike with the sword. It is as if he meant, I have only a small knife, but if you want I shall strike these scoundrels, making of them a veritable carnage. Too angry to wait for the answer, he struck one of the soldiers and cut off his right ear. But our divine Savior did not approve of this action and reprimanded him. He then took Malchus's ear and healed him. Turning to St. Peter, he said, Put your sword back in its sheath. By this, he meant, You have not used your knife to circumcise the part that most needed to be cut out. You have cut off the right ear, which is used to receive spiritual matters such as inspirations and good movements. But you have allowed the left ear, which listens to worldly and vain things, to remain. You ought to have removed the left, not the right ear. 
for the right ear is ready and eager to hear divine inspirations and heavenly words. By not severing the left ear, the circumcision is not rightly performed. You see then how necessary it is to bring the knife to bear on the part that is most sinful and sick. The preacher at the cathedral today began his sermon by relating a remarkable incident which I will now share with you. It is certainly a dish worthy of serving at two tables. It is recorded in the book of Genesis that one day Jacob, with his children and very large family, set up tents near Shechem. Jacob had a very beautiful daughter, Dinah. Being near the royal city, Dinah was eager to visit it. She decided to go alone to take a look at it. How typical of the human spirit. She goes not only to look around, but also, I believe, to be admired, for she was beautiful and knew it. Alone in this great city of Shechem, she kept marveling at all she saw. The king's son happened to see her from his window. Taken with her rare beauty, he inquired who she was. This young prince was, was named Shechem, and his father was Hamor. He was so taken by her that he had her kidnapped. This was easy enough to do, because there are always plenty of people willing to help the great with their evil plans. Carried off, she was dishonored by Prince Shechem. A great uproar ensued, especially because King Hamor and Prince Shechem were not of Dinah's nationality. Finding out what had happened, and knowing how dearly his son loved Dinah, Hamor was eager to remedy the situation. Scripture tells us that the heart of Shechem was bound to Dinah, but the bond was not that strong. It was an empty and fragile love, like all worldly loves, which last all so briefly. God's love is nothing like that. It remains and never departs from the soul it has entered. It continues to unite and bind the soul to the divine majesty, not for two or three days like worldly love, but for all eternity. Worldly love, on the contrary, is foolish, dangerous, and worthy of condemnation. It stems from and is sustained by foolishness, silliness, and stupidity. To please his son, Hamer went to Jacob to arrange for his son's marriage with Dinah. Since he was king, many people argued for the marriage, and it was almost settled. The machinations of the human spirit are strange indeed. Simeon and Levi were Dinah's brothers, and they knew that their father Jacob was negotiating the marriage of their sister to Shechem. They were shocked at the dishonor Shechem had committed in raping Dinah, and decided to propose a condition to the king without which they would not consent to the marriage. They demanded that if he wanted an alliance with their nation, all his people would have to be circumcised. At first there was considerable objection to this proposal, but in the end, after much negotiation, it was resolved to propose circumcision to the people of the land of Shechem. When they were all assembled at the place appointed for the consultation, circumcision was proposed to them, and various arguments were offered to encourage their agreement with the king's plan for his son's happiness. They were told that Jacob was a great nation, and that he would join his people with them, which would strengthen both with more troops. In the end, after much discussion, all agreed to submit to circumcision. It was painful indeed, and the majority were half dead from weakness. Knowing this, Simeon and Levi stormed the city, put everything to the torch, and avenged in blood the evil which Hamor's son had done to their sister. 
In this story, I note particularly the people's promptitude and acquiescence in submitting to the king's will, placing their own lives in danger so as to please the king's son. Shall we flee our spiritual circumcision in cowardice and fear, seeing our Savior submit himself today to this same law of circumcision in order to give us an example? In pouring out his blood, he invites us not to shed ours, but only to pour out our hearts and spirits before him. We are invited to this interior circumcision, not for his profit and pleasure, but for our good, our salvation, and our benefit. Will we refuse, after all this, to do what he asks of us? We see the people of Shechem submit to a very painful law solely to please the king's son. Are we to be so timid and cowardly as to refuse to submit to things which, by contrast, are so mild and easy? But let us conclude with a word on the name which was given to our Lord today. Today's gospel would have us understand that the shedding of Jesus' blood is related to his name. It is appropriate that he be given this name on the day of his circumcision, for he could not be Savior without pouring out blood, nor give blood without being Savior. He could, of course, have saved the world without shedding his blood, but that would not have been enough to satisfy the love he bears us. He could certainly have satisfied divine justice for all of our sins by a single sigh from his sacred heart, but this would not have satisfied his love, which desired that, by taking the name of Savior, he should give his blood as a deposit of that which he willed to pour out for our redemption. The name of Savior was rightly given him on this day, for there is no redemption without shedding of blood, and no salvation without redemption, since no one can enter heaven except by this gate. Also, by making himself Savior and Redeemer of mankind, our Lord begins, in taking this name, to pay our debts with no other money than that of his precious blood. He was then called Jesus, which means Savior. All the ancient fathers agree that notwithstanding his many names and titles, our Lord has only three which belong to him essentially. The first is that of supreme being, reserved only to him and applicable to no other. In this name, he knows himself through himself. The second is that of Creator, which also can be given only to Him, since no one else but Him is Creator. In this name, He knows Himself through Himself, but He also knows Himself through His creatures. The third name is Jesus, which likewise belongs only to Him alone, since no one else can be Savior. Beyond this, there is the title of Christ, which means High Priest or Anointed One of God. We Christians participate in these last two names. In this present life, we bear the name of Christ, namely Christians, and we are anointed by the sacraments which we receive. When we are in heaven, we will bear the name of the Savior, inasmuch as there we will all enjoy complete salvation and be among those saved. Thus in heaven, we will be called by our Lord's other name, Jesus or Savior, 
since we will be saved. This has been taken from the Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas, translated by Nuns of the Visitation, and edited by Father Louis S. Fiorelli, OSFS. Published in 1987 by Ten Books and Publishers, Incorporated, Rockford, Illinois, and aired with permission of the publisher. This book may be purchased online at www.tanbooks.com or by calling toll-free 1-800-437-5876. This has been Christian Classics with Teresa Hofer. Listen every Monday through Friday at this time as Teresa continues her great readings and selections from classic Christian literature right here on the Ave Maria Radio Network, news and talk for Catholic and other Christians.